0: I'm Mike, one of the pastors here at Trinity Life. Um, if you have kids in here this morning, you guys can go out to Kid City. You guys will have a good time, snacks, learning about Jesus. Yeah, look, he's excited. <laughs> yep, that was you. <laughs> so one thing I want to mention before we jump in, we just sang a song, Come Thou Fount, and it has uh, the word Ebenezer in there. And if you're not familiar with church, you're like, why does it have name of Scrooge in, in the song? It's not talking about Ebenezer Scrooge. Uh, this is actually, um, it's Hebrew. It means stone of help. And that's why, it's, that's why it's in the song. So I just think, like, when we sing that, it's weird. If you're not familiar with, with the Christian environment or church, it's, it's uh, a weird thing to sing. Uh, okay, so I just want to introduce our speaker this morning. His name is T.V. Thomas. If you Google T.V. Thomas, you'll get one of two things. You'll get our guy, <laughs> or you'll get a veteran communist leader. That's actually what it says in Google. That is not our guy this morning. So just to be clear, that's not the TV Thomas we have speaking this morning. We have this TV Thomas. Um, of many things, he's the founder and director of the Center for Evangelism and World Mission. But what's, And I can go on and on about his credentials. He speaks around the world. We're like small beans to TV Thomas. We're, <laughs> we're um, yeah, he speaks at large, large conferences, thousands of people, and um, we're just honored to have him here with us. Our only connection is Melanie and Molly, It's their dad. And if I can say anything about TV, if you guys know Melanie and Molly, um, yeah, this, <laughs> put Beyonce aside, this <laughs> if you know anything about Melanie and Molly, um, they're just wonderful people. They're, they're strong in their faith. They are they're just a joy to be around. And that says so much to me about Mary and TV, about their parents. And that's all I have to say is that if you guys know them, then you can see that they were raised They were raised well. And we're just honored to have TV with us. So, TV, why don't you come up here. Um, he's, he's just jumping into our Philippians series. So, right where we left off last week, he's picking up. And he's going to share with us this morning. Thank uh, you.
1: Thank you. Good morning. Uh, one of the things God's people around the world are saying is God is good all the time, and I want you to declare it this morning. I'll say God is good. You say all the time. When I say all the time, you say God is good. Okay? God is good? All the time. Some of you have not had breakfast. So let's say it with a little more gusto. God is good? All the time. All the time? God is good. I've added another line on this global, global slogan. God is not only good all the time, but God is also great all the time. If he's not great, he's not good enough. Amen? Amen. So let's declare that God is good, all the, time. all the time. God is good. God is great, all the time. All the time. God is great. Amen. Uh, uh, I want to thank you for the opportunity to come and share this morning with you. Uh, we are grateful that Molly and Melanie have found a, a church home where they are oh, they are able to uh, in, be involved and receive. Uh, what God has through Trinity life. We are grateful for that. Uh, we are here because Mary and I are here, bec- and Victor, uh, our oldest son, and their brother, uh, because of Molly's graduation yesterday with a Master of Global, uh, Global Affairs. Uh, so congratulations. Uh, uh, there's a question that always goes by and say, what does TV stand for? Uh, I walked into a campus where I was speaking for five days. There was a competition that was in Vogue, and in the kitchen there was a box with some pieces of paper and pencil. They were supposed to guess what TV stood for. At the end of five days, in the last session, they gave out the five prizes to these individuals. Uh, The fifth prize went to the person who said, uh, True Visionary. (laughs) Uh, uh, The fourth prize went to the person who said, uh, True Value must have worked in a hardware store somewhere. Uh, third prize went to the person who said, tremendously vigorous. Second prize went to the person who said, totally victorious. And the first prize, rightly so, went to the person who said, totally vaccinated. <laughs> it's always a delightful experience to meet a longtime friend, especially after a very, very long time. November last year, uh, that was one of my experiences. I was in central India to speak at a large convention. I met a friend of mine by the name of Milton. Uh, uh, from my college days, we met after 40 year, 44 years of absence. Over the decades, we had a few intermittent uh, communications, a few letters, and a few phone calls. It was an amazing time of reunion of two good friends in college he came to christ he became a disciple of the lord jesus in college he started taking leadership and he has continued to demonstrate that uh in the subsequent years that we have not personally met that was similar to the experience of the apostle paul uh as you would have if you were here in the last several weeks You would have known Paul was in a prison in Rome. He was awaiting a court trial, which would likely go against him, and the verdict would be a death sentence. Yet, Paul had a few followers in, in Rome who perhaps visited him and somewhat cared for him. I believe Paul must have been super delighted. He must have been super delighted to see an old friend from Philippi called Epaphroditus. Now, Epaphroditus is not a common name. You don't find too many moms and dads uh, wanting to choose that name for their children. It'll be an indictment, not a blessing. But Epaphroditus visited Paul in Rome. He had traveled at least 800 miles uh, if he had traveled overland. And if he had taken the sea route, It would have been a much longer trip. We do not know how he came, but we know he arrived in Rome. The believers in Christ in the city of uh, Philippi back in Macedonia had collected some funds uh, and sent it through Epaphroditus to meet Paul's needs in prison. You see, Roman prisons were not the nicest places, and sometimes they were dangerous places, like some of our penitentiaries on this continent. They did not provide food for their prisoners that was left to family and friends to provide. Since uh, Paul was a prisoner of Rome, of the emperor, it was impossible for Paul to support himself with his tent-making trade. Therefore, Paul was confined to a cell under maximum security, He had no liberties to go out and work. So Paul graciously received this love gift of money from the Philippine Christians through Epaphroditus. And I'm of the conviction that the letter uh, to the Philippians by Paul is Paul's thank you letter to the Philippians for their gift. It's his thank you letter to the corporate congregation in Philippi. So Paul sees the opportunity to write. Why? Epaphroditus, after being with him for several uh, several weeks, now was returning home to his hometown. And Paul must have thought, what a great opportunity for me to write this letter of gratitude and, and thank them for what they had done. So a specific expression of gratitude comes in the passage that was read for us this morning. In this passage, there are three things Paul rejoiced in. First of all, Paul rejoiced in the Philippians' interest in him. Paul rejoiced in the Philippians' interest in him. There are three observations to be made in verse 10. First of all, in verse 10, we, uh, Paul rejoiced in the Lord greatly when he received this gift from the Philippians. We all know, Paul's, uh, uh, Paul's favorite words are "rejoice and joy." And you may have already heard 16 times in this letter, the word "joy" or "rejoice" appears. Uh, but here in verse 10, is the only time in all his letters that Paul is adds a qualifier to the word rejoicing. What does he say? Rejoice greatly." The only time he made this qualifying statement, always you talk about rejoice, uh, rejoicing, but this is the only time he says, rejoice greatly. This emphasizes the depth of Paul's personal feelings he had for the Philippine believers back in Macedonia. The, uh, the Philippines uh, loved Paul, and Paul loved the Philippines. There was a deep friendship bond between the Philippine church and and the Apostle Paul. But in verse 10, but in verse 10, notice that Paul rejoices in God first. He rejoices in God because ultimately God is the one who stirred up their hearts to send the gift they did. Friends, God is the ultimate provider. And I can stand here and I was sharing with Michael earlier that God has proven to me that He is the ultimate provider. He's the only one who can provide what we actually need. Well, whatever our need is whether it's physical, emotional, spiritual, or whatever our need is, our intellectual needs, ultimately God is the provider. God is the provider. And God has provided for us in my faith ministry over many, many years. And I want you to say God uses people, but the ultimate stirrer of hearts, the ultimate prompter of every gift, is God himself. So Paul, first of all, says uh, he rejoiced in the Lord greatly. It reminded Paul God had not forgotten him. God stirred the hearts of the Philippine Christians to provide for him. And, and so, uh, secondly, Paul recognized the Philippine Christians' personal caring interest in him. In verse, two, verse 10, you see the phrase, you have revived your concern for me. Uh, what it simply means, you are thinking of me and you are thinking on my behalf. You are thinking of me and you are thinking of on my behalf. There's a popular axiom, out of sight, out of mind. And the reason it's a popular axiom is because it's often true, most people, including longtime high school friends, including extended family members, including missionaries who work somewhere overseas. We do not think of them once they're out of sight. We don't choose to. We don't say, I want to forget them. With the busyness of life, with other things on our radar, They seem to just slip away and we don't think of them for a long, long time. Friends, many, many missionaries depend upon our thinking of them. Many of them go out, whether it's to Senegal or whether they go to Venezuela or whether they go to Irian Jaya. Or whether they go to Portugal, or whether they go to the Middle East, if they're going there, they go with the understanding those they communicated with, those they shared their vision with, their ministry with, they want us to think of them. Be thinking of them in prayer, thinking of them in providing for their needs, thinking of them for their children, because their children go through similar challenges. Like we face right here, there are challenges of growth and appropriate school and visas and many other things. And, and one of the things I've asked many, many a uh, missionary, many, many a missionary, I uh, you know over the years I've seen tens of missionaries leave Canada and the US to overseas. And I asked them, what, what has changed uh, since the time you've been four terms on the field? This is the uh, fifth term. What has changed over the last twenty years? This is what they say: less and less people remember us in prayer while we are gone. They receive our business cards, they receive our prayer cards, they receive, but they do not think about us. Friends, this was not Paul's experience with the Philippine church. Paul, uh, Paul, uh, Paul, uh, this was not the case for the Philippine Christians. Paul was in the thoughts uh, of the Philippians constantly. They prayed for him. They were concerned about his well-being. In fact, their concern for Paul, uh, he says, was revived. The word revived is a rare Greek word which only appears here in the New Testament. And it's interesting in this very short passage of Scripture, there are several rare words that Paul uses. I've never discovered why, but he uses several rare words, and this is one of them. He he borrows a botanical metaphor. The word revived could be translated, blossomed afresh. Blossomed afresh. Paul was so grateful for the Philippians, renewed care for him after a long silence, that to Paul was like seeing a shoot sprout out of the ground, After the winter of dormancy, and the shoot then bursts into blossom, Paul is not rejoicing because of the gift. Paul is not rejoicing because of the gift. But friends, because the gift was based on a mutual relationship. Paul was rejoicing. The gift reflected the wonderful uh, relationship they have Between them. The deep friendship they have. The uh, the, uh, the Philippine Christians are partnered with him in the gospel. Their gift was secondary to the deep relationship that he has with the Philippine Christians. Their gift flowed out of that friendship relationship. Friendship relationship. So, and this comes through even more in the last part of verse 10. When he says, "Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity," Paul knew thirdly that the Philippine Christians wanted to give to him before this time. Paul was not criticizing for the Philippine Christians for their long silence, the hiatus of non-communication, and lack of giving. Paul was not, has not forgotten that the Philippine Christians were very supportive of him from the very, very early days of his ministry when he left from Philippi to go to other parts. When Paul left Macedonia to evangelize Achaia, or no other church had shared with him the costs of his mission. And we see that uh, in his letter to the Corinthians, verse, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 9. Uh, the Philippine Christians. Gave ongoing gifts to supply. More than once, Paul's stay in the city of Thessalonica. Then there was a period of silence. Then there was a period of no communication. Why? Paul writes, they lacked opportunity. The phrase opportunity, lacked opportunity, could be understood in two ways. It could be that they had no time to do it, or they had no chance to do it. No opportunity. Uh, I, and I believe the Philippines' uh, lack of communication well, because there was no chance. No opportunity, though they were continuously concerned for Paul. They lost track of Paul and his movements. They had lost touch with Paul because Paul was continually on the move. The Philippines did not know how could get how they could get uh, uh, they could get their money to the Apostle Paul for his ministry. Keep in mind this is before uh, before emails and cell phones. This is even before snail mail. Uh, this is even before five days of home delivery days. Long distance communication in those days were at best uncertain and super, super slow. Then Paul was in prison in Caesarea for two years bec- before he was sent to Rome in chains. At last the Philippines learned where Paul finally landed. He knew he was, in, he, he was in Rome and he lacked much. He was not even warm enough during the long months of the damp Roman winds. The willingness of Epaphrates, to visit Paul and uh, gave them the opportunity to send them money to help him so friends Paul rejoiced in the fact that they were concerned and personally cared for him Paul rejoiced in that reality uh, in that reality they thought of him they were concerned about him they loved him They wanted his best for him. Secondly, Paul rejoiced in the lessons of contentment he had learned. Having expressed his sincere pleasure of their personal concern and care, Paul goes on to make what I believe is one of the greatest statements of spiritual maturity. It's found in verse 11. I would not dare to make that because I have not arrived there. But I'll tell you, it's a wonderful statement. I still remember the first time. Somebody preached on this statement four years after coming to, coming to Christ in, in personal faith. In Singapore, I heard this statement, uh, this statement, that one, and this, uh, the preacher from New Zealand said, it's the greatest statement of spiritual maturity. It's found in verse 11. Now that I speak from, uh, not that I speak from want, I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. We'll unpack that very quickly, but let's look at the first part of verse 11. In the New American Standard, it says, not that I speak from want. In the NIV, it says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need. In ESV, uh, it says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, and the New uh, Living Translation says, "Not that I ever uh, I was ever in need the f- the word want or need means lack." Paul was pre- not preoccupied with his personal situation. He was not drowning in despair. He wants the Philippine Christians believers to know that he is not discouraged. He is not defeated. He is not in in despair. Therefore, Paul was communicating. He was not primarily rejoicing uh, over the amount of the gift. But he he rejoiced because of the thoughtfulness of of their gift. He was grateful for the givers rather than the gifts that they actually sent. So, although Paul was refreshed, and encouraged by the generosity of the Philippians, the apostle goes on to tell them he, was no, he has not been dictated by the needs and wants and the lacks that he had. He has not been in a state of discontentment. Uh, let's remind ourselves again. Where was Paul? He was in prison, probably suffering from cold and dampness. He was facing a death sentence. He was lonely cut off from the majority of the church, the, the very people he loved. Yet, I, I, yet in these circumstances, he could testify that he was content, not of himself. And here's the connection. Why can he say, I can be content in whatever circumstances? Here's the connection. The connection is in verse 13. In verse 13, Paul makes it clear I can do all things through, through him or through Christ who th- strengthens me. So you can see that here, that Paul is a man of God who had reached the stage where despite his dismal circumstances, contentment was his frame of mind. Despite some tough situations, despite some pathetic situations, Despite some tragic situations, contentment was his frame of mind. The question facing me, and I trust facing us all, how do we come to the state of contentment? How can we grow and achieve what Paul achieved almost at the end of his life in ministry? How do we achieve and come to the state of contentment. Friends, we live in a very cynical and discontented age and society. We don't have to go far. Uh, We can just listen to what people say. I just listen to many people who talk around me or on a plane or waiting for a flight. Uh, When I listen to that, it's a cynical age we live in. It's a discontented society we live among. And so often the spirit of discontentment has even permeated the church. uh, It's easy to think we would be content if only the situation was different. If only things could change, I will be content. We delude ourselves into thinking that it is our circumstances that need to be changed. And not ourselves. And friends, one of the things God wants you to walk away with this morning is what God wants us to do is to change us. Change us individually. Change us as a couple. Change us as a family. And even change us as a congregation. We can discover from the Apostle Paul in verse 11, how he attained contentment. Twice he makes this reference. Verse 11, it says, I've learned to be content. The operative word is learned. I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. And in verse 12 again, in case you missed it, in verse 12 he says, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. But in verse 12, he starts with this phrase, I know. He's not talking about cognitive knowledge. He's talking about personal experience. He says, I know from personal experience. Not just information. I I know through the crucible of personal experience. And he's reminding the Philippians, this contentment is not something that has come by chance. And this com- c- contentment is not something that has come because of one, one's nature or one's personality. We all know of individuals who are often calm and placid by nature. And then others, by nature, are more restless and discontented and often they like to let the rest of the world know, know they are discontented. But the best of nature's breakdown if a situation is unbearable. It will certainly break down in such circumstances as those in which Paul found himself in. At the end of Paul's life, after sacrificing in the cause of Christ and his kingdom, What was Paul's reward? It was a prison cell and a looming death sentence. The question is, how could you be content when you're treated unfairly? How could you be content when you're lonely? How could you be content when things in your personal life or career have gone wrong? How could you be content we cannot have all that you want to have? Friends, Paul did not come to this position of contentment easily or quickly. He has been learning. He has been enrolled in the school of the Christian life. And he has been engaged in spiritual learning. It is a school of hard knocks. And Paul says, I have learned. I've learned, I have learned through personal experience what it is to walk by faith and trusting in Christ. Four things about spiritual learning I quickly want to leave with you. Number one, this spiritual learning is a process. Is a process. It took both time and trials to perfect this frame of mind of commitment in in the Apostle Paul. To master any subject takes many years of study. Paul has been in the school of Christian life. Paul has gone through many repeated lessons, not just a lesson quickly. Sometimes you have to learn the lesson again and again because we do not learn it well and we do not learn it full. So he has gone through many repeated lessons in the process of spiritual learning. Spiritual learning is a process. So if you ever think it is instant, you've got wrong understanding from Scripture. It is not from Scripture. It is a process. Secondly, the spiritual learning is a progression. As in the ordinary process of learning, you go from one stage to another stage. God in his mercy has a personal schedule for you. God in his mercy has a personal syllabus for you, for each of us. God gives the simpler lessons at the beginning and the harder ones as we go on. God is expecting us to make progress during the process at every stage. Just as at any school, we may get stuck. Just like at any school, we may get something wrong. Or we may even fail at a certain stage. The same is true in spiritual learning as well. We may find ourselves super disappointed. Or we may murmur. Or we may complain. But God wants to help us learn spiritually and move ahead and progress in the school of Christian faith. Thirdly, this spiritual learning takes discipline. Or there's not a, a, a very... A very popular word in this time. Uh, The the word discipline sounds so negative. But friends, discipline is essential for any form of training. Whether to be a pilot or whether to be a, a journeyman. A discipline is just part of life, part of training. Friends, there's no genuine educational progress without discipline. God calls us to exercise our gifts, our determination, our courage, and make choices in this life that are conducive, conducive uh, to growing a deeper spirituality. And fourthly, this spiritual learning is a meaningful activity. When we send our children away to school, we believe they engage in something meaningful that will equip them for life. Similarly, Paul is saying, in the school of Christian life, God has been working his purpose out. It has not been something haphazard. Paul has learned to be content. It, was, it, it is God's school, and he is in charge. And therefore, our Christian life will be meaningful and not meaningless as we commit ourselves to remain in it. And this is why the Apostle Paul counseled his spiritual son in First Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 and verse 8. But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. Godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. And then in verse 8 he says, We have food and covering, with these we shall be content. Friends, Godliness without corresponding contentment is not Christian godliness. Godliness without corresponding contentment is not attractive. Godliness without corresponding contentment is not contagious. But if our godliness needs to be attractive, if our godliness wants to make people uh, curious, it needs to be coupled with contentment because because it is a contentment that comes from joy. The word content is another rare word he uses. This is the only time this word appears again in the New Testament. Only time. Paul borrows this word from the vocabulary of the Stoic philosophers. And Paul was very familiar with Stoic philosophy. The school of philosophy was founded by Zeno of Citium of Cyprus around 300 BC. The word content and contentment were favorite popular words of Stoics. This word contentment was used by Stoics to describe a person who are self-sufficient and able to exist without anything or anyone. Stoic contentment is a self-sufficiency which is achieved by detachment from all people and all things. Nothing fakes them. They almost operated like living statues. Stoic contentment was without mutual relationship. They needed no other person. They needed no community. But friends, this contentment Paul possessed, in verse 11 he says, I am content. Did not spring up from indifference did not spring up from apathy. Did not spring up from desperation. But Paul learned to bow his mind calmly to the will of God in every condition he was placed in. Because God, uh, Paul believed that God is good. Paul believed that God is great. Paul believed that God is sovereign. That Paul, Paul believed that God is in control. Therefore, Paul's contentment was not a cold, stubborn endurance ascribed to heathen stoicism. Paul felt the pain. Paul felt the evil. Paul felt the suffering. But he surmounted all of that. Paul's cheerfulness gave him mastery over circumstances. Then in verses 12 to 13, Paul graphically illustrates what it means When he says he has learned to be content in all circumstances. Let me read these verses again to you. Verse 12. I know how to get along with humble means. And I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance. I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry. Both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. In verse 12, Paul uses two contrasting Extreme circumstances. The first contrast is between humble means and prosperity. Is between need and plenty, depending upon the version you are using. Paul is using the image of the water levels of a river to illustrate the contrast. The words humble means or need refers to the lowering of the water level in a river. Describing experiences of abject poverty without basic necessities of life. It is the experience of deprivation. The word prosperity or plenty is the opposite meaning. It means overflow. When the river overflows, it goes beyond its banks and it reaches other people who sometimes is dangerous when it's a flood. Enough for one's daily needs plus something left over. Keep in mind, Paul uh, came from a wealthy background. He was a Roman citizen in the city of Tarsus. He received his education under Rabbi Gamaliel. That was a rare privilege only a few few had because it was expensive education. He had to be sent away to, to study. Paul was becoming also a wealthy Pharisee after his graduation from G- G- Gamaliel school because he testified of the monetary rewards he profited from the Jewish religion. Galatians 1, verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 14, uh, hints at this. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more ze- extremely zealous for my ancestral tradition. So Paul knew what what it was to be living a life of affluence. The second contrast is this. Being filled and hungry, or well-fed and hungry. The word that's used for being filled was to describe force-fed animals that were stuffed to overflowing in order to fatten them for slaughter, for sale. Paul uses the same word to define one of the extremes, having more than enough to eat. In contrast, the word hungry is the opposite condition. It refers to the absence of food as against the abundance of food given to force-fed animals. To be content is the opposite to be covetous. To be content is the opposite to being greedy. The reason material things can never make uh, humans content is because a human is never able to get enough of material things to satisfy them. Someone asked uh, the leading, uh, the legendary leading industrialist and billionaire of the uh, the of the early part of the 20th century, John D. Rockefeller. The question he asked was, "How much money?" is enough. Rockefeller thought for a moment and said, just a little more than one has. Just a little more than one has. Often, friends, the source of our discontent is when we get our wants mixed up with our needs. We get confused between wants and needs. And we think our greeds are really our needs. So this is why Jesus said in Luke 12 verse 15, Beware, be on your guard against every form of greed. It is by the experience of these extremes, living in abundance or in suffering need, Abundant prosperity and devastating hardship. That Paul has come to know the secret of coping with all circumstances. And living with a frame of mind of contentment. Thirdly and lastly, Paul rejoiced in Paul's enabling power. Verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. A better translation of this will. Well, verse would be, I can do all these things through him who strengthens me. Paul is referring to what he has just described. His ability to exist in all times of material circumstances. Wealth or poverty, abundant food or no food. So Paul is not making a general statement as some, as some people take this to be. And abuse scripture, Paul is not making a general statement about his ability to do anything and everything. Paul is saying that his self-sufficiency is an expression of his total dependence upon Christ. Christ infuses strength into Paul through the Holy Spirit. Christ enables Paul through the power of the Holy Spirit. The more dependent upon God Paul became, the stronger he became. The stoic's contentment of sufficiency comes from within. The stoic's sufficiency comes from within. But Paul's statement of confidence did not originate with egotistical pride or self-will. Paul's contentment of sufficiency comes from outside himself. It comes from Christ and Christ alone. Stoic uh, sufficiency is self-sufficiency. Paul's sufficiency is Christ's sufficiency. The apostle knew that divine strength is made perfect through his human weakness. That's why as I close, I want to read one more verse. Second Corinthians 12 verse 9. He, My grace is sufficient for you For power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I rather boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Paul's sufficiency in Christ is because of Christ's power that came to him and therefore he could live a life of contentment. Friends, This dependence of God that Paul is testifying to is a contentment of faith. I trust my Christ. He is sufficient for me. While the stoic self-sufficiency is a contentment of pride. Paul's Christ-sufficiency is a contentment of faith. But the Stoics' self-willed endurance producing contentment is a contentment of pride. So friends, as the theme says, let's find joy. Let's find joy as we learn in the school of Christian living the secret of being more and more and more content in Christ. Shall we pray?